you for joining us for another edition of the Intelligence Download. Again, still in lockdown. We continue to live in extraordinary times with the advent of COVID-19, and it's something that all organisations are continually working to manage. Unfortunately, this pandemic also results in people taking advantage of the situation in the form of committing fraud and financial crime. In this episode, Chris Andrew, our Director for Counterfraud, sat down with Ben Fletcher, Director, Insurance Fraud Bureau, IFB, and Maheen Samiapan, CEO, Insurance Services Malaysia, ISM, to discuss the background to their organisations, what we could expect from fraud perspective over the coming months, and how insurance consortiums continue to support the industry and proactively evolve. So, from all of our various locations in lockdown, barring any dogs, cats or children, I'll hand over to you, Chris, to start the conversation. Thank you, Paul. And uh, and first and foremost, thank you to both Ben and Maheen for, for joining us today. Uh, and I certainly hope that you and your respective teams are managing to both stay safe and, and work effectively in the current climate. Um, for the benefit of our listeners, and perhaps if I can start with you, Ben, uh, could you please provide a brief background on yourself, uh, your organisation and how you work with insurers and the industry to fight fraud? Thanks, Chris. Yes, certainly. Um, I'm Ben Fletch. I'm the director for the Insurance Fraud Bureau. Um, I've worked in the insurance industry uh, for more years than I care to remember. I think about 25. Um, I've worked for a number of uh, helped insurers set up a number of counter fraud teams, and then joined the IFB when it was created in 2006. The IFB was originally set up as a project, and the purpose of the IFB was insurers were increasingly seeing what looked like organised insurance fraud versus what they previously perceived as opportunistic, um, but they couldn't see the patterns and the trends. So the, the, the hypothesis behind the IFB was if you pull all of the industry data together, you'd be able to see those trends and patterns and you'd be able to tackle organised fraud in a different way. So. Uh, the IFB works with the vast majority of the UK general insurance market, um, and we look at um, organised insurance fraud across most gen general insurance lines, predominantly motor, property and liability. Okay, Ben, that was great. Thank you. Uh, and your, your, uh, yourself, Maheen? Yeah, thanks, Chris. Uh, so I'm the CEO of uh, ISM, or Insurance Services of Malaysia. Uh, also from the insurance industry, I've been the, in the industry for about 20 years now, uh, but primarily around uh, analytics background and underwriting background, not so much on claims. Uh, but uh, starting off in ISM, uh, ISM for the last nine years has given me a little bit more uh, insight into fraud detection. Uh, and in terms of the organization, ISM was set up uh, broadly for analytics purposes, so not just focusing on, on fraud. So initially, uh, it was set up to collect data and analyze data. Uh, this is to assist the insurers um, in performance benchmarking, uh, as well as uh, product pricing, especially uh, Malaysia getting into the liberalized environment. Um, and uh, we've also set up uh, information exchange platforms. This is particularly to help out at the point of underwriting of claims. And one of the uh, key exchange platforms we have is the no claims discount for Moto. 
Uh, we've also moved into the accident and health line of business on this uh, on this platform. So the uh, and now over the last couple of years, we've moved into the fraud detection um, area. This is fraud detection using analytics. So our program here is called the fraud intelligence system. At the moment, uh, we have started off on motor insurance, and uh, we have got all the insurers on board. Uh, but they're all at different levels of they have different level of skills uh, and usage. So that's the that's uh, that's where we are the last couple of years. Thanks, Chris, for me. Thanks, Mahina. Thank you, Ben. Um, <clears throat> some interesting background there. So thank you for sharing that for our listeners. Um, so I think you both know. Uh, you know, we are living in extraordinary times at the moment. Uh, and history shows that in times of economic crisis, you know, similar to the subprime collapse back in 2008, 2009, there's an increase in fraud. So whilst I appreciate you don't have crystal balls to see into the future, can you please talk about some of the things you're seeing in the industry from a fraud perspective? Uh, and that would include, you know, what are you most concerned about? And perhaps include something that most people don't realize uh, that may be occurring at the moment. Perhaps if I could start with you, Ben. So in terms of trends that we're seeing, I think I'd probably describe this as the lull before the storm in so far as what have we seen? We've seen an 80% reduction in overall traffic volumes. Um, so we've seen far less people using their cars. Um, and so at some point, we will inevitably see for a short period of time, less motor claims. However, quite a lot of the fraud um, has personal injury and other elements attached to it in the motor space. So we've we've actually seen our fraud volumes um, at an overall volume level still being relatively static, to be perfectly honest. Um, we've still seen quite a lot of the same trends and patterns, um, but we've actually seen the fraudsters exploiting the current circumstance that we're in. So, for example, we have... The concept of ghost brokers, which are people that sell fake motor insurance, they quite often target people in specific communities um, or of a specific profile. Um, just last week, working with the police, um, we had a ghost broker arrested and they were actually specifically targeting NHS and key workers. So the, the overall fraud that they were committing wasn't necessarily dramatically different to what we were seeing before. But I think it's just a small example of how ruthless um, these fraudsters are, that they're happy to extort money out of uh, anybody, including people that are actually helping the country keep going for the time being. We've also seen, for example, people involved in crash for cash. So these are some of the organised motor insurance scams um, where people will, will deliberately force other vehicles to have a collision. Um, we've seen examples where th those are still taking place, but because there's less people around, that certainly in one gang, we saw the organisers then get out of the car after they've had the collision and coerce people to then go straight to a cash point and take money out um, to get money straight away. Whereas in reality, if you were in a situation where there were lots of people around, I don't think they'd be so brazen as to do that. So. I think at the moment we're seeing a lot of the similar types of fraud, but fraudsters, as I say, just exploiting it in any way that we can. 
And I think we're starting to see a, a, a growing market emerging out of COVID. So at the end of April, there were over 700 companies registered in this country that had COVID-19 or Corona in their title. Some of those will in, undoubtedly be genuine businesses that are looking to help people. But I have a fairly strong suspicion that a lot of those will be companies seeking to um, make claims in various situations. Um, what we've also seen is fraudsters at this point specifically targeting public sector and quite a lot of investment frauds and retail frauds. And we know from our operational experience um, that fraudsters are not product or industry loyal. Um, so those fraudsters that are extorting grants out of the government will be doing that until that money dries up and then they'll look to move into other markets. So um, I, that's why I describe it as the lull before the storm, because we've not yet seen a dramatic reduction in volumes of fraud, but there's all the indications that the volumes in the future and post-COVID are going to increase on a number of levels. Thank you, Ben. Uh, some really insightful information there. Um, and also some concerning trends that you're seeing as well, particularly the example you provided about the uh, the crash for cash scenario. Um, so thank you for sharing that. Uh, Maheen, could I perhaps pass on to you and could we have your perspective, please? Yes, sure. Um, yes, so similarly, I think I'll touch on the, uh, the motto claims trend first. For the first five months, that's up to me. We've seen a 30% drop in motor claims volume. And I guess uh, this, once again, the reasons because very less usage uh, in the lockdown period. So, I mean, uh, that's why the, the claims have dropped. Um, and all, but uh, we've, although TEF is not really a fraud, but I think we've seen a, sl a, a slight increase in, in TEF claims coming in, or at least the TEF rings being busted by the police. So uh, this is, once again, I think um, people taking advantage of the quiet lockdowns and so on uh, in terms of committing theft. Um, but uh, slightly moving on to the commercial property side, uh, uh, this also we've seen a little bit of an increase. It was unusual to see uh, fire, large fires in a short period of time. So in Malaysia, I think we've, we've I kind of like noted there are three fires happening in the uh, plastic factories uh, around um, during the lockdown period at somewhere between March and April. So, and, and we, we figure that this was supposed to be no activities during this time, but fires happening. So there could be something amiss about it. Uh, so once again, in terms of fraud trends and so on, we, 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 not, we do not have the data yet to really analyze is that there has been a much of a change, but we don't think so. One of the interesting things that's been happening is that thing uh, during this lockdown period, uh, the regulators have been uh, asking the insurers to continue paying the claims, but they did not allow them to appoint a justice to carry out any investigation. So we're not sure uh, whether uh, some of these claims could have been paid out, uh, which are actually uh, non-payable or they're actually fraudulent claims because no investigation could have been carried out. I guess some of this baby could be come out after some and further analysis is carried out on this type of claims. Um, so I, I guess uh, the, the thing about uh, not being able to appoint a justice puts a little bit more burden on the claims examiners uh, to be able to determine whether 
the claims ha is actually payable? Are there anything I miss about those claims? Thanks, Mahin. Yeah, I, I think from speaking to other insurers and colleagues that they have, uh, in different insurers, they've also witnessed similar behaviour, particularly in relation to fire claims, uh, but also in relation to their ability to, you know, actually validate claims where typically, uh, you know, an, an adjuster would have gone out to visit, you know, an, a claimant or an insured or a third party in the field. Uh, so I guess that's that's been very challenging for insurers. Um, but thank you both for your, your comments and observations there. In that question, we talked about crystal ball to see into the future. So once, so I suppose, in business and industry starts to return to some form of normality, and you know, none of us are really sure when that's going to occur, but how do you see the world of insurance fraud post-COVID-19? And I'll go to you, Ben. I think it's going to be busy, Chris, to be perfectly honest with you. Um, it, I kind of liken it to more, more traditional business models. And most business models are built on supply and demand. And I think what we've learned from some of the previous cycles of spikes in fraud is um, how much of a supply and demand is there for it. And I think that the practical reality is that we're regardless of when we come out of this um, pandemic and start to get back to some level of normal life, um, I, I think we, I think there is broad recognition that we're going to be heading into a pretty hard recession. We're already seeing companies laying people off. We're already seeing um, companies failing, um, which is going to create financial hardship for people on a number of levels. So when I talk about supply and demand, I think in the supply space, I see there being a broad range of organisations who are financially struggling and whilst they may otherwise have been entirely genuine, may be tempted to take part in, exaggerate further fraudulent claims, as well as the more organised fraudsters absolutely looking to exploit the situation. So I think so the supply, i.e. those numbers of what we would call professional enablers or organised firms and professionals willing to help further fraudulent claims, I think, will increase. And I think, sadly, at the same time, the demand from consumers, uh, and whilst I talk about organised insurance fraud, it's the organised scams be by virtue of the fact that often at the top of the um, group, you've got an organised criminal but a lot of people that take part in these organised scams are actually opportunistic fraudsters. Um, and if you've got families that can't afford to pay the bills, can't afford to pay for their vehicles, if you've got someone that's willing to make a, a dodgy claim for them, that suddenly becomes far more attractive. So I, I think the supply and demand and the opportunity around fraud, as we've seen in previous um, periods of economic downturn, I think there will be more fraud out there I think we'll also start to see new types of fraud emerging. Um, you're already hearing on the radio um, and seeing on social media people, um, claims management companies um, and others trying to recruit people who have either perceived to have been failed by investments failing. So they're looking at um, financial advisors, but inevitably most most companies have moved people to working from home or moved people out of the office and i think there is a huge market emerging or there will be a huge market emerging 
in the employer's liability and public liability space where employers and organizations over a variety, variety of levels are perceived to have not taken sufficient steps to safeguard people. So I, I see that as being a, a significant um, issue. And I, and I think that the, the couple of other bits are on people, actually. I think the world that we work in, I think we'll have far more remote working than we have. And I think there's a good and a bad side to that. Uh, I'll, I'll start with a bad bit and then I'll finish on the high with a good bit, if I may. I think on the bad side, I think having people working from home will mean that we'll have to we'll all have to think about how we put in place the appropriate controls to stop, mitigate and control and identify insider fraud um, because details about claims um, is a valuable commodity and we've seen in the past um, a big industry in claims farming and people trying to socially engineer people within the insurance industry. So I, I think the insider fraud becomes a potentially bigger risk for people. But I think the plus side is actually, um, to, to, as I say, to end on a high, I think as we move into more remote working, I think our workforces as an industry will potentially change. And I think whilst a lot of us will still continue to work full time, there's been quite a big pool of people who may not want to work full time or working in London, if you're actually living in um, a different part of the country, may not be attractive, where if you can work remotely, fraud investigation and a lot of the work that we do is actually quite specialist. So I think there's actually an opportunity here for insurers to tap into, and the insurance industry more broadly, to tap into a greater pool of resource. Um, so I, I think those are sort of the, the, the big things. I, I think the other thing is from a reputation perspective, insurers globally are struggling with their reputation. Um, you, you, can't, um, you can't avoid in the news the, the details of business interruption. And the reality is a lot of businesses take out insurance but most insurance policies, most commercial policies don't necessarily pay out for what we're currently seeing. And if they did, frankly, it would have dire um, consequences on the insurance industry. So on the one hand, insurers are going to have the challenge of trying their utmost to pay claims quickly, look after policyholders and meet customers' expectations. But frankly, the expectations of customers against commercial reality there's a potentially bigger void growing there. So I think there's going to be that operational challenges of more fraud, struggling with the remote working, whilst also balancing the overall reputation and brand management of the market. So that's why I say I think I think we're going to be busy and we're going to see some interesting challenges. Thank you, Ben. That was a really comprehensive answer. And certainly some of the themes you mentioned there resonate with what we've also heard from insurers and the industry, uh, coupled with actually the, the kind of insurer business continuity plans and and the effectiveness or otherwise of those um, aligned with people working from home. Uh, so, you know, a hugely challenging time. But thank you for that comprehensive response, Ben. Uh, Maheen, if I can pass to you, please. Yeah, sure. Um, sure. So uh, I think the, the, the COVID-19, uh, the fact of what we are seeing now is just a start 
uh, it's going to have a, there's going to be a long tail effect of this COVID-19 pandemic, uh, which is definitely going to result in a recession, which has already been uh, forecasted to happen. And, and with this happening, uh, we're definitely going to see a higher number of uh, staged accidents or staged thefts uh, for, for motor or even kind of fire, staged fire for commercial property. Uh, looking at the motor industry, the repairs, the motor repairs have had a loss of income for the last two to three months. Uh, and they're going to try every, every bit to be able to exaggerate the claim enable uh, to recoup their, their, their loss of income and they're going to look out to the insurers to actually be able to recoup their income. So that, that's, that's one thing is I think will, will happen and we have seen this happening uh, in terms of recession. Uh, in fact, uh, we, we've seen uh, some, a few cases in Malaysia, which is not related to insurance, but we've seen uh, companies uh, producing forged documents for COVID-19 results uh, to actually show that they are negative or a positive. So similarly like this, this could also kind of like pick up and, and forge documents more and more of this could be coming up uh, in, in post-COVID-19, especially in the medical and health uh, insurance where the private medical and health insurance uh, sector is concerned. So that's another sector which I think uh, is going to be, we're going to see quite a number of uh, fraud uh, happening uh, uh, post-COVID-19. Uh, in what way or how is it going to happen? I guess the, the process are going to be pretty creative in that after uh, once everything starts opening up. So I guess the, just that the insurers have to be really careful in assessing this type of claims and looking out for anything that uh, doesn't look right. Thanks, Maheen. I mean, what, what's your view, very quickly, Maheen, on the insurer's ability to, to validate, accurately validate documentation? Um, I, I think I think uh, that's, that's going to be a challenge, uh, especially if uh, some of them are going to be working from home. So this, this is going to be a big factor here in, in getting this done uh, rightly or correctly. Uh, we're not sure what kind of uh, what kind of equipment they have at home, what kind of a connection they have at home. If they think some challenges, they may just not be wanting to do it in the interest of. Uh, approving the claims on a timely manner. So I guess uh, we've heard that uh, some of the SIUs that are working uh, from home are not able to actually fulfill their duties fully, uh, mainly because of connectivity issues uh, or, or even due to their equipments are not, are not compatible to be able to connect to networks. So this is definitely going to be a challenge. Uh, technology challenge uh, in terms of ge getting this validations correct. Yeah, that, that again, that very much kind of resonates with what we're hearing from other insurers in terms of, you know, a business continuity plan has been executed. But that doesn't necessarily mean that the people within that organization can still work as effectively and or have secure access to the right systems and, and, and tools. So that, that very much definitely uh, resonates with what we've heard. So um, thank you for that, Maheen. So we've kind of talked a bit about the problem space, what the future might look like. So what do you think, you know, what, what could or should insurers be doing to make sure that they are less exposed to insurance fraud at these unprecedented times? And I'll go to you, Ben. Um, so if I've been a bit doom and gloom, Chris, up until now, this is probably where I, I feel <laughs> a bit more optimistic because... I think That's good to hear, Ben. <laughs> I think in the last um, sort of 10 years, I've seen a huge change in the insurance market. Um, you 
you, you've worked in this industry for a long time as well, Chris, so, you, so you, you know the same. But ultimately, insurance fraud, certainly in the UK, has been was historically perceived as kind of a back office um, claims issue, whereas in the last 10 years, there's been a recognition that it's not just about claims fraud. There's a lot in application, there's insider fraud, and it's the broader financial crime piece. So I've seen insurers investing heavily in making sure they can get good quality data as quickly as possible. Um, and I think that will become increasingly necessary. I've seen insurers investing in technology to help solve a problem because in reality, when you're looking at large volumes of data, the bygone years of being able to just investigate and use gut feel to look at frauds, you can't scale that. So you, you absolutely have to, the second layer of over and above the data is having the technology to do something with it. I think the third component for me is having an effective mechanism to be able to combine the output from the data and the technology, see where the trends and patterns are emerging and be able to prioritize. So at an industry level, we have something we publish every other year called the strategic threat assessment. And I know that a lot of insurers have been trying to and have been completing internal threat assessments. So I think that the need to do that will absolutely continue. Um, and, and I think the key will really be um, then having the operating models that are agile enough to be able to respond to some of those emerging trends and patterns. Because um, whilst up until now we've seen some fairly similar um, frauds, as I as I touched upon in one of the earlier parts of the discussion, we will see new frauds like an increasing liability, I think. Um, and insurers are going to have to look at the data, trust the technology, trust the, the infrastructure they've built, and then start looking at some of those emerging trends and patterns. Um, so I think those are the, the those are sort of the key three or four bits. Um, and the, but linked to the data parties, um, the industry has continued to work together to share information because one of the things that fraudsters are very good at is sharing information. Um, insurance is naturally a competitive market. Um, we have competition law, we have data protection law, um, and therefore, intuitively, it's not necessarily that easy or, in, or intuitive to go and speak to some of your competitors. But we need to be clear that fraudsters are organized business people. They share information, they sell and trade business ideas, and therefore, the industry have to continue what they've started, which is sharing information um, around some of these frauds and trends and patterns because we are far stronger tackling some of these um, gangs and some of the more organized frauds when we work together. Yeah, that's very true, Ben. Um, I mean, one of the observations that I, I had in relation to, you know, what could or should insurers be doing to make sure they're less exposed? Do you think, uh, do you think that agility forms part of that? That, uh, that consideration, their ability to be more fleet of foot and agile when it comes to being able to proactively identify evolving forward typologies? Um, yes, uh, absolutely. Um, and, and I think it's on a number of levels. I think it's um, one, being able to identify them, but then also being able to respond to them as well. Um, and that's why I talk about there needs to, there needs to be 
an ability to prioritize and continually review your priorities because just because you're doing something now doesn't necessarily mean that's going to be your biggest priority in three, four or five months time. So um, the, the agility comes, I think, as an output of being able to continually look at what you're getting out of the data and analytics platforms that you're using, reprioritize that and then also deploy your resources accordingly. I, I do actually think in some respects, um, as society, we are going to become, I, a lot of companies have been looking at how they work from home um, and work in a more, more agile way. And I think we've seen huge examples of where companies have accelerated their plans to do this. And I'm not talking just about in the insurance industry, I'm talking about far more broadly. So I, I think the way that we investigate frauds will probably change quite dramatically off, uh, as we start to come back to normal. And I think as our digital footprint increases and people's acceptance that things are not always done face to face but you have to provide information i think in some respects actually helps that agility point chris so long as you've got the right skills expertise tools internally in some respects some of the historical challenges just of logistically getting people around to investigate stuff i think we we could actually see some of those um, parts of the process be made easier yeah, thank you, Ben. I, I definitely agree with uh, with your observations. Um, so, thank you for your for your comprehensive response. Uh, and Mahin, if I can pass to you, please. Yeah, sure. Uh, I would like to look at this from from uh, two perspectives in terms of how what insurers can do. Well, one is one is from an application or an underwriting uh, perspective. The other one is from from a claims. But uh, Definitely both of these, uh, from my view, is that data is going to be really, really important here, uh, especially if it's data that is brought together across the industry, uh, not just the, the, their own data. And uh, on that aspect, I'm, I'm, I'm quite happy to say that in Malaysia, uh, the data sharing, of, especially for the motor, motor insurance, is happening. Uh, and it has, there's... Uh, our platforms are within, although there are certain uh, certain laws like the uh, personal data protection law here, but but for the purpose of underwriting and claims, uh, the insurers are able to share this data for for these purposes. So there are uh, through our exchange platforms, this this information is being shared already. But I think what the insurers can do is, is that how they get to actually make use of this data even better. How are they going to build this into their underwriting systems or even their, their claim systems? Um, so, uh, and the other thing is about how they're going to use, they're going to empower their, their staff, whether it's the claims, claims examiners, whether the SIU team, or even underwriters with the right technology as working from home becomes the norm for some of them. So I guess the lessons they have learned during this, this lockdown where uh, some of the uh, yeah, yeah, claims examiners were not able to access certain systems, access data, all those should be overcome uh, in the, the short term. Um, also, uh, uh, the use of data should be enhanced uh, because data is already available. It's just how they're going to make use of it. Because especially from an application perspective, uh, there's always a pressure for to, to, to actually shorten the, the turnaround time for sales uh, as compared to actually going through the doing going through the underwriting process, so they probably have to strike a good balance there. Uh, be able to use technology to enhance or to 
to quicken those processes. Thanks, Mahin. And, and yeah, having been exposed to the Malaysian insurance industry the last couple of years, it's, it's been really encouraging to see um, the appetite from the insurance uh, insurance companies and the industry to want to do more with data and work with insurers to share data for the greater good. Uh, so it's been really encouraging to see. So thank you. Um, gentlemen, I think in closing, um, I've got one more question, if I may. So how do you see consortium organization, organizations such as yourselves continuing to evolve proactively in times such as this? Um, ben, if I can pass to you first, please. Yeah, certainly. Thanks, Chris. Um, I think it's a really good question. Um, I, I'm proud of the IFB and what we've achieved. And I think we've actually built some infrastructure collectively um, with the industry. I mean, when I talk about the IFB, the IFB really is the culmination of the industry's response. And I think the, a consortium is an extension of an insurer's um, own capability. And I think a lot of consortiums do those things that insurers in isolation can't do. So there's similarities and then differences. Similarities in so far as we need to continue to do the same things that we have been up until now, which is taking data, analyzing that data, finding the trends and patterns, and helping the industry prioritize where those future trends um, and priorities need to be focused. Um, so we absolutely need to continue doing that. Um, I, I think where it's slightly different is obviously the types of data we have and the role that we play. I think we can bring other people um, to the table that insurers in isolation can't. So I think um, I, I talked earlier on about fraudsters not being product or industry lo loyal. And I think fraud generally, as we go into a hard recession, um, will absolutely be an issue. And therefore, I think the opportunity to engage with partners and other sectors will increase because I think as fraud increases, everybody's going to need to respond to it. So I think there's an opportunity for insurers helped by consortiums to lead out uh, or to, to reach out more to the likes of financial services, banks, telephone companies, public sector. So I think there's a massive coordination piece I also think that certainly in the UK, um, insurers in the general insurance space, the so personal lines policies like motorhome liability, et cetera, I, I think the industry efforts are probably a bit more mature than they are in some of the other areas. I know that there are um, the, the industry is looking at what's going on with some of those other areas, but I think the other thing on my mind is how do we create data sharing that extends not just outside of the insurance industry, but actually, first of all, includes all of the insurance industry, so health, life, um, and some of the long-term savings. I think there's opportunities for us to improve how we work together. Um, so I think there's certainly more that we can do as consortiums built on the great great foundations that I know a lot of the consortiums globally have um, ha have already started. So, yeah, a lot of work to do, I think, Chris. Yeah, thank you, Ben. I mean, you know, you, it, the IFB has been in existence now for kind of 14 years. And obviously, as a an outsider looking in, I've been hugely impressed at the kind of evolution during that time. Um, and I guess last year when we held the, the, the first Global Insurance Fraud Summit in Barcelona, where we brought 
you know, people together from industry from across 19 different countries included in that audience were other consortiums from around the world. And it was very interesting to hear about how, how they tackled the problem and in different ways in which they work with the industry. Uh, but I think, you know, the IFB has always been a flagship and one of the early kind of consortium adopters. Um, so it, it, it's been hugely impressive to watch your journey. So, so good luck for the future, Ben. Um, Maheen, if I can perhaps pass to you now in terms of the consortium question, please. Yeah. Um, from, from a fraud, fraud aspect, ISM, uh, for ISM, there's still quite a bit of work to do. Uh, we have just uh, started the fraud detection uh, project about last two to three years ago. Uh, we're still not as matured as compared to uh, IFV, so that's why I'm saying there's uh, still quite a bit of work to do for us. Um, I guess in the, in, the, in the next, in the short term for us, well, our immediate focus is going to be to to drive the, the usage uh, or at least to drive desktop investigation among the insurers in Malaysia. Uh, at least we want, uh, we want to encourage the claims examiners or at least or even the SIUs to use the existing tools that we're already providing, the, the existing data that's already there. In fact, all the data, we're already pulling together the industry data and providing it to them. All they have to do is actually kind of pay a little bit more focus I uh, spend a little bit more time uh, looking at the, all this data that, and the tools that are with them at the moment. So I guess that's, that's our, our first first thing to do is to really encourage the insurers to actually use the tools, uh, encourage them to carry out desktop investigations. Uh, and, so, uh, and hopefully, uh, after we've gone through this, this uh, uh, pandemic, this lockdown period where they're not able to appoint a justice, uh, they, they find the desktop investigation a little bit more useful uh, to have it in hand if they have the right skills and the right tools. The, the second thing I think we'll, we'll, we'll probably look into is actually definitely improving data. There's always opportunity for us to improve data. Uh, and along with data is to also look at the, uh, the trends, the analytics, and all those things to enhance them. So these are a couple of the uh, things that we are looking at, at least in the short term, to, to make things better in Malaysia, especially from a fraud detection perspective uh, around motor insurance. Okay, Mahin, thank you. And is there any plan, Mahin, to perhaps roll your capabilities into, into different lines of business? Is that part of your strategy? Yes, uh, d definitely. Um, I think uh, we've had even requests uh, whether we can use this similar technology, te data analytics in the uh, uh, medical health sector because that's in Malaysia, the private medical health is, is, is a big is a big industry here. Uh, so and there's a lot of uh, lot of uh, issues around there, especially costs, inflation, and escalation around there. So there has been uh, there has been inquiries. I think once we have get this going around moto and having stabilized, we would look into uh, a different line of business. Uh, and the next one should be medical and health. Okay, thank you, Mihin. Um and I, I look forward to uh, to speaking with you soon and, and working with your team again. And Ben, also thank you very much for your time today, uh, and hope to see you at some point. Um, hopefully, it won't be another kind of few years, but I very much hope to see you soon. And just wanted to thank both of you today for your time. Thank you. Thanks, Chris. Thanks, Maheen. Yep. Thank you. Thank you, everyone. Chris, Maheen, Ben, thank you. Um, I mean, there's a lot of themes that we've covered in this podcast that we've covered in previous ones. The sort of underlying fact that the change that we're going to experience is going to be positive and negative, depending on whether you're an insurance or a fraudster. Um and this idea that the workforce changing again is another really interesting one, which I think we need to explore a little bit more because the way we use our workforce 
I think has been permanently changed. Um, certainly from BA Systems perspective, the agility that we've found from working the way we have over the last few months uh, is only something that's going to grow, only something that's going to be uh, reviewed and, and kept long term. And I imagine the same thing is going to be done for the insurance industry and banking industry and other financial services. It's going to be an ever-evolving landscape, I think, over the next year and a half. Thank you for listening to another edition of the Intelligence Download. Um, if you'd like to subscribe, go to Podbean, Apple, Google, or your favorite podcast app, and stay safe. <laughs> <laughs>